0: I'm going to uh, continue by reading. I just want to read the sort of the end portion of of, um, the crucifixion following uh, Jesus' sort of mock trial. And this is Matthew 27. This is right after Pilate delivers Jesus over to be crucified. So Matthew 27, starting in verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. And they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. When they mocked him, they stripped off the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And after the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come and save him. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Verse 54, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Lord, we pray as we look at your word that you would open our hearts again to the truth of the cross and all that it means for us that you came and gave yourself for us. We ask this in your name. Amen. I think we're still going. It looks like it. I'm not even sure exactly. But it looks like we are. That's good. If you guys need to, feel free to move around if you have to. (laughs) Thanks again. Many of us as kids have encountered uh, that age-old fear of the dark. I remember as a kid having especially a phase of fearing the dark. And even as we grow older, uh, the dark is dangerous. Uh, I have a distinct memory of so Stephen Kelly being here, of uh, being in youth group and running through the bush at Stephen Kelly's house, and, and totally close lining myself into a tree. Really, really good. So much so, the next day I actually had to go to the eye doctor to make sure, I, I'm pretty sure I ran, and it got me, and then the branch broke off, and I ran for a bit with it in my eye, and then like pulled something out and, uh, Dr. Lockyer thankfully said I was fine. But uh, yeah, dangerous, was not safe. Also remember a team camp where someone was running and totally went out from the volleyball net. Uh, Brian says it was him. And I remember someone else as well, just legs right out from under them. Dark is a dangerous place. There's a reason to be afraid of, of the dark to some degree. Uh, the dark can also be really disorienting. In fact, just this week as I was preparing this message, I ran downstairs here at the church Grabbed grab something off the printer and the door shut behind me in the stairwell and I forgot how dark it was in the stairwell. There's no lights, there's no windows and I totally just about lost it on the last step and went headlong into the wall. And So even in a familiar place, the dark is, it can throw us, it can be disorienting, it can be alarming, it can uh, pull us up short as it were. I want us to look at what happens here. In Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 27, verse 45, it says, From the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And this verse is alerting us of the impending almost dread of darkness as Jesus himself, the Messiah, the King, allows himself to be killed by his people on a Roman cross, and the land, though it's midday, uh, is consumed by darkness. And this is the darkness that marks his intense physical suffering, and also his spiritual suffering, the separation from the Father. And I think what's most striking about this is sixth to ninth hour is, is midday. The reference can seem kind of lost to us if we don't stop and kind of realize what that means. But we're told this is right this is right in the middle of the day, from about noon to three in the afternoon. And that hour, we're told by the Jewish historian Josephus, was when the Jews would have been offering their daily evening sacrifices. Right in this time period, right as Jesus is being killed, they're killing uh, the offerings for sin uh, for the people. And so Jesus, who's been orchestrating these events, he's been getting the Pharisees riled up. He's purposely entered into conflict with them. And now is willingly giving himself over to die for humanity on the same weekend, just so happens, but not as the Passover celebration is now being crucified on the hill while the lambs are being slaughtered. And you can hear, as you've got kind of your biblical imagination going, John the Baptist's words, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now as this new final Passover lamb dies for us, the sky darkens. And if you're familiar with Israel's prophets at all, there's a passage in Zephaniah chapter one, verses 14, 15, it says, the Lord's great day of judgment is almost here. And that day will be a day of God's anger, a day of darkness and blue, a day of clouds and dark skies. What's going on here is that rather than God's judgment poured out justly upon a sinful humanity who's turned away from him time and time again, and all of us have contributed to the brokenness and the evil in the world in one way or another, rather than God's day of judgment coming and wiping us out as we sort of justly deserve, what happens now is God pours that upon his Son. And the Father withdraws the light of his presence from Jesus as Jesus bears the guiltiness of the world's sins. Second Corinthians, Paul puts it this way. He said, God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. And we might think back for a second and go, where else do we remember darkness covering the land? In Israel's story, this is almost hearkening back to Egypt, hearkening back to that last great plague that then redeemed or bought Israel out of slavery in Egypt and into new relationship and new covenant with Yahweh. As the darkness covers the land, what happens is the firstborn of Egypt uh, are killed. And you might almost say that what's happening here To make justice for our sin, God, in a sense, in a sense, is taking the firstborn plague upon himself as darkness covers the land. And he does this so that you and I can live. And now, rather than covering our doorposts with the lamb's blood, Jesus, this true, innocent, final Passover sacrificial lamb covers our hearts covers our broken humanity with his blood so that we can be free, not just from slavery to a foreign nation, but actually slavery to sin and to the ultimate enemy, death itself, and receive everlasting life, new redemption. And so when we come at last to Jesus' final words in verse 46 and verse 50, when he cries out again with a loud voice, and yields up his spirit. This is now the battle won at last. It's like you could say the war's over. And if you think back to Genesis as the serpent, the prophecy of the serpent that will give the fatal snake bite blow to the Messiah's heel, and as the Messiah's heel is promised to crush the serpent's head here now, we get the final blow dealt to the seed of Eve, uh, Jesus himself, will die for us, but in doing this, he will crush Satan and defeat sin and evil. Jesus feels the horror of sin, I think, so deeply. The yelling out and calling out is about his separation from the Father. And you think of it this way, as the Father and the Son in, in communion, uh, before time and space begin, in in Intimate communion together are now undoing themselves, allowing a separation to occur for you and for me. It's it's just remarkable. Folks, the reality is this. God will not ignore our sin and evil. Habakkuk puts it this way. It says, you're too just to tolerate evil. You're unable to condone wrongdoing. But the wonderful thing that we come back to time and time again when we celebrate Easter especially Good Friday, is that instead of of undoing us, humanity, for all of our nonsense and our greed and our lust and all the brokenness that we bring about, it, God chooses to rescue us and still deal with the evil by coming himself and bearing it on the cross. And so he forgives us even as we execute violence against him. So this is the response of God to our... Our uh, our rebellion against him is not justice in the sense you and I would have, but is forgiveness. And so in Hebrews, you remember again, we read all through the Old Testament, but Hebrews brings this brings this out. We're we're um our our the blood sacrifice of the animals it provides a sort of um, symbolic or ritual purity for worshippers. It's a weird image for us, but the blood of the animals is their life. And now through the blood of Jesus, it's almost the it's almost the fulfillment of that. Not almost, it actually is, where the 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 blood now of the innocent one and of God Himself made flesh brings an ultimate purification and an ultimate permanent rescue for us from all of our dead works, all of our brokenness to the glory of God. And now we can enter in. And of course, you get this beautiful image of the the veil of the temple being torn, almost saying now the Holy of Holies comes out to everybody. And now God's presence floods the world. And of course, we'll come back to that on Easter morning. That as the stone is rolled away, now the one who is in the tomb has now come out and remade this new creation into a garden. But we can know ourselves personally that we can be cleansed from our sins and that nothing can separate us now from the love. I want to read a few really powerful key verses that summarize these thoughts. Just before we close and head back in, we're going to have a final song before we finish up. But There's just a few verses here I wanted to read for us. First is Isaiah 53, 6. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Romans 3.25 says, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sins. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. 1 John 2.2 says this, He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Folks, this is the center of our faith. It's grounded in the historical facts of Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus came and died that we could live in him. His sacrifice cleanses us from sin, but we need to personally come and acknowledge our need for him. There's one who's gone before us, and with his great love, has made a way back to the Father. And so I just wanna lead us in prayer before uh, we close with this song. Which you bow your head with me? Lord, we thank you for this night when we can remember the cross. Lord, we thank you that the hope and forgiveness of God are available to all of us who receive Jesus by faith as our Lord and our Savior. And Lord, I, I thank you that to receive you is simple. Your Your Word says that we confess our sins. You're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, my prayer here tonight is for anyone who who watches this, anyone who's meditating on what Good Friday is about, and thinking why on earth do we get this day off of all days? Why is it good, Lord, that you would settle again in our hearts? This is good because. Because of this, we have freedom and life and redemption. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone that needs to uh, come and make that confession of faith, Lord, that you would call us to do that, uh, to give our hearts to you, to repent of our sin, and to choose you as our Lord and our Savior. And Lord, for those of us who've been walking with you for years, I pray that you would remind us of the, the very core of our faith, that we are saved not because of our performance, not because of how good we are at trying to live for you, but because you have rescued us from our sin and death. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight. You would uh, bring a peace and a rest to us to know it is indeed finished and you have indeed saved us. Lord, bless your people tonight, we pray. We lift up those, especially who are suffering, uh, those that are struggling with the effects of this pandemic and worries, Lord, of health, of economic issues, those who experience experienced job loss. Lord, we pray you would draw near to each heart tonight with your comfort and your grace, but also most of all, Lord, your hope of salvation, that you have got us and that you hold us, not just in this life, but into eternity.